welcome back to Adhering Apologetics. Really pumped you're joining us today. Today we're going to be doing a brief response to Rationality Rules, where I think he's wrong about the state of apologetics. He released this video that should be linked down below a few months ago called How My Views Have Changed in the Past Five Years. And it's a really great video, and you can kind of look at Steve's thoughts and see how his ideas have changed. And I wanted to respond to the little blurb on apologetics for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's very intellectually rigorous. Uh, I really appreciate Steve's commitment to truth and um, engaging with the best and kind of showing that like, <laughs> like anyone else, like there's a lot we have to learn. And I basically agree with Steve on some points. And then he's also going to talk about things such as like um, the best argument for God in his mind, and which is going to be interesting here. We're going to talk about intelligent design and Darwin. And then he at the end talks about the problem of divine hiddenness which is interesting considering the context of the rest of the video. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a short video. And if you're here joining us live, well, shout out to you because it's 8 a.m. where I'm doing this. And oh my gosh, it's just, I'm tired. But it is going to be a lot of fun. I love doing this. I have wide awake and full of energy to do this video. Um, Ismail, good to see you. Good morning to you. Let's get in. So we're going to play this first little clip and get this thing started. The audio should be shared, but if you can't hear the audio for some reason, just let me know, um, but that should not be a problem. Since my early teens, I've recognized the face of religion as arrogance disguised as humility, hate disguised as love, and a lobotomy disguised as wisdom. But I always suspected that by reading enough historical and contemporary literature and engaging in enough conversation, I'd come to recognize that behind the face is an intellectually rigorous foundation. After all, I reasoned, so many wonderfully intelligent people believe in a god, and there's entire courses and degrees dedicated to theology and apologetics. Whilst it might be the case that I'll never be personally convinced of theism, upon a day I'll surely appreciate that there's at least sufficient intellectual support for the proposition, and that given a spring of divine revelation or personal experience, there's a considerable probability that it's true, that a God exists. So I want to pause here and just say like big shout out to Steve with like how he's framing this thing. Cause like I basically could agree with him, except I'm a Christian. So I could say the same thing about like atheism. Like as I've done like these videos and whatnot, I've been very impressed by like atheism and formidable forms of atheism. And I'm probably more confident than ever that God exists but I've had a deeper and deeper appreciation for different kinds of atheism um, just through working and doing stuff like this and making response videos and listening and things like this. So that's all I wanted to say. And the other thing is, Steve, if you're listening, you are extremely po poetic my guy. Like in addition to doing your YouTube channel, you should write like poem books or something because I just love your flow. It's just, it's just beautiful. Um, so yeah, I just basically wanted to say, I agree with Steve here. Um, and I can say as a theist, um, looking at atheist side, I could basically just, yeah, copy what Steve said and said, yeah, that's the truth about atheism. But yeah, let's get into the next bit. You know, similar to how we think of the multiverse today, there's a fair chance that it exists, but there's also a fair chance that it doesn't. There's good reason both for and against the proposition. Now, given the direction that my life took, I've been gifted with the wonderful opportunity of digesting a significant amount of theological content, from the historical words of Aquinas, Al-Ghazali, Paley, and Pascal, to the contemporary words of Lewis, Craig, and Plantinga. And yet, to my surprise, I'm now less convinced of the existence of a god than I have ever been. To be clear, the more I learn, the more I'm overwhelmed by what little I know. Each book, each lesson smashes my ego, and for this I'm very grateful. Most of my views have consequently weakened or indeed been shattered, but a minority of my views have only solidified, and one such view is that the various arguments for the existence of God, and especially the way in which they've developed in response to scientific and philosophical, the various arguments... All right, we're going to pause there for a second before he gets into his um, interesting arguments. Hobsinger says you're giving him way too many compliments. Well, Steve's amazing, so of course I'm going to give him compliments. Um, and like the, the, the beard, and there's just, there's so many good things. I love Steve. Um, he's a really cool guy even though we've never actually talked, but he seems cool. So 
again, like I'm going to mostly agree with him here because this isn't like the meat of this section. Like, yeah, I agree. And like thinking about like atheism, there's a very rigorous foundation here. And if you read the works of people like Oppie or Sobel or Mackey, like there's a very rich foundation for atheism too. And this debate isn't between like one side just being chiefs of rationality and the other side just being irrational and blind. Like that's not how this Christian atheist debate works. And like, if you're concerned about like Romans one or something, like, I don't think there's a problem with Christian theology. Like there's a really good analogy with how, like at least how I think about Romans one and like things like that in the magician's nephew by CS Lewis. So you can check that out. If you're curious, there's a really great, yeah, Lewis lays it out pretty well. So once again, basically I agree with him and it's Steve's personal journey. So like, if he doesn't find the arguments like interesting or not interesting, but like uh, powerful, well, like, I think justification is person-based. And if it's in Steve's eyes, they're not powerful, then like, yeah, what are you going to do? I can't force someone to accept certain arguments. Um, so yeah, I mean, I agree. And he's super poetic. And now we're going to get into the juicy stuff um, where Steve's going to talk about his favorite argument in Darwin and intelligent design. And this will be fun. Arguments for the existence of God, and especially the way in which they've developed in response to scientific and philosophical objection, are precisely as good as we'd expect them to be in a state in which there is no God. They're quite frankly, awful. For me, the most convincing argument by far is Paley's watchmaker. The sheer complexity of our biology, the way in which, for instance, our system sends platelets to seal a wound, is an intuitively very convincing argument that we're the product of intelligent design. At least it was to me. But even a rudimentary understanding of evolution by natural selection completely neutralizes it. Like a pin to a balloon, Darwin popped teleology. Okay, so before we get into Wesley, um, Wesley, wow, you see where my brain's at. Um, before we get into Steve and intelligent design, I just want to say, Wesley, I don't know what's worse you being on the stream during your calculus class or having a calculus class at 8, 5, 8.05 in the morning. Oh gosh. <laughs> it's good to see you, Wesley. Um, so let's talk about this. So Steve's talking about his favorite argument or like the one that was most powerful in his mind. And he talks about like the watchmaker analogy with Paley and like, okay, that's fine. Like, I don't really like, once again, like it's his personal take on things. But then he comes, he goes on to say that like ev evolutionary theory and Darwin just destroys intelligent design. And I just want to say like, yeah, that's probably not the case. Um, plug, see my interview with Dr. Zachary Dern on this. We literally just talked about like, is evolution evidence of design or how evolution could be evidence of design? And he talked about three different lines. So we talked about like convergence um, and all kinds of fun stuff. So I'd really encourage you to check that out. So here's some reasons to think that this isn't true, that Darwin, like evolutionary theory just trumps design. Well, some theories of evolution are going to require design. Like if you go with a pure Darwinian model where the only factors are like, chance and random chance and oh gosh i just blank but if you with the period darwinian theory well then maybe they wouldn't need to be designed there's a lot of other theories of evolution and a lot of them are gaining more traction like see like the extended synthesis um and there's data with like convergence so like things like very far apart if you accept like an evolutionary story uh like say like mice in australia and mice in europe um they're, they're separated by like millions of years but then they have a lot of the same features which is really surprising if evolution is just purely random which seems like suggesting that there is some sort of like goal orientation in evolution um and like you don't have to be a christian to acknowledge this um so i'd say that like ip is a really good video talking about how evolution is evidence of design um and then there's got to be also like certain law-like structures in the first place that allow evolution to take off like assuming that we have evolution um well first we have this problem of convergence like why are things that are separated by these millions of years so similar and then we have this problem of you need like potentially these law-like structures to allow for evolution like so like, I don't see how like given atheism, there's, it's just given that there's going to be an environment that allows for evolution to occur. 
Like it seems like you're going to have to potentially have some design that allows for an evolutionary process, which would be more expected on theism than atheism. Um, so in that sense, like perhaps even evolution could be evidence for theism. Once again, check out my interview with Zachary Adern if you want to explore more about this. Finally, I just want to say like, what evolutionary model is true is highly contested. So like I have a quote here from the extended synthesis model of evolution. And it's going to talk here. It's just going to talk about like what this view is. And this is a more modern view of um, evolutionary theory. And it says this, it says it makes a couple of claims about their theory. Um, novel phenotypic variants will be frequently, will frequently be directional and function functional. So in this extended synthesis model of evolution, uh, it's not just purely random. It, there's direction and function to the evolutionary story, which um, seems to go against the idea of Darwin just trumping ID because there is some direction in the evolutionary theory, which, you know, could be some evidence for theism potentially. Um, furthermore, repeat evolution in isolated populations may be due to convergent selection and or developmental bias. So once again, we're talking about like mice in different parts of the world um, or all kinds of different things. You can see my interview with Zachary Dern. We talked about convergence and evolution like there are lots of things um that are seemingly suspicious when you think about evolutionary theory and saying that like it just trumps um intelligent design because it seems like the two aren't necessarily like ex mutually exclusive options so that's all i'm saying and I'm, if you ask me about evolution like i'm personally agnostic i mean i don't believe the like the young earth is true um so then like how does that work well i don't know some sort of old earth model is what i was believing i don't know um hoping to review actually of Dr. Craig's book on the historical Adam soon, which would be really exciting. Um, so was the watchmaker blind or was she one-eyed? This is a paper by Ray Raymond Noble and Dennis Noble. You can check it out. It was published in 2017 and just talks about the same question. I'm just have a little blurb here that I'm just going to talk about here. And then we'll kind of move on to the last little bit. So here's what they said. The question of where, whether evolution is blind is usually presented as a choice between no goals at all, the blind watchmaker, and long-term goals which would be external to the organism, for example, in the form of a special creation or intelligent design. These arguments, either way, do not address the question, though, whether there are short-term goals which within rather than external to organisms. Organisms and their interacting populations have evolved mechanisms by which they can harness blind stochasticity, hope I pronounced that word right, and so generate rapid functional responses to environmental changes. They can achieve this by reorganizing their genomes and our regulatory networks. Epigenetic as well as DNA changes are involved. Evolution may have no foresight, but is at least partially directed by the organisms themselves and by this populations of which they form part. So all this to say, like, once again, it is very contested to say that evolution is a purely random thing, which goes away with design. There's a lot of lines of evidence that seem to, you know, at least suggest that there may be some um, directionality, intentionality in the evolutionary story. So it's possible, like, and this is something that's worth exploring. And I don't like to make these really big, like, judgments. So, like, sometimes, like, I'm guilty of this. These will be like, well, I've been planning to just completely destroy the problem, the logical problem evil for all of time. And it's like, nah, probably not. Um, there's other forms of the logical problem evil, which still have some potential. Um, so just saying, like, you can't just, like, make this giant pronouncement based off of, like, one idea. Um, so like theists are guilty of this too. So I would just be like in the same way, like hopefully when an atheist might be like, Ooh, when a theist says like planning to just destroy the problem of evil, we can be like, Ooh, when someone says that Darwin just destroyed intelligent design. Um, there's a lot left to be explored. So yeah, let's get into this last clip on divine hiddenness and we will call it a day. 
A contemporary of Paley, Percy Shelley, expressed frustration at just how poor the arguments for a god are in his essay titled A Refutation of Deism, which for the record is a phenomenal read. And I'll end this chapter by sharing just a few of his fine words. If God wishes to be known, cherished, thanked, why does he not show himself under his favourable features to all these intelligent beings by whom he wishes to be loved and adored? Why not manifest himself to the whole world in an unequivocal manner, much more capable of convincing us than these private revelations, which seem to accuse the divinity of an annoying partiality for some of his creatures? Would it not have been more in conformity with the views of a god so jealous of his glory, and so well-intentioned for mankind, to write, in a manner not subject to dispute, his name, his attributes, his permanent wishes in ineffable characters equally understood to all the inhabitants of the earth. No one would then be able to doubt the existence of God, of his clear will, of his visible intentions. Under the eyes of this so terrible God, no one would have the audacity to violate his commands. No mortal would dare risk attracting his anger. Finally, no man would have the effrontery to impose on his name or interpret his will according to his own fantasy. Okay. So this is really interesting. And this is one of the big reasons I chose this video to do a response to, and I thought it'd be edifying is, so Steve's presenting like a form of the problem of divine hiddenness here. And what I found super interesting about this video is he talks about how like, it seems like God is pretty hidden and far removed from the world. And if you're watching this via YouTube, you could see like the graphics here are, he starts in like Austria, maybe somewhere in like central Europe. And he zooms out eventually you get like the whole cosmos. And I, and I just, every time I look at that, I'm like, yeah, this thing's amazing. Like, how can you say that, like, it's all necessary or something like that? Like, or it's just part of, like, a multiverse. Like, it seems like this is, like, something beautiful, um, which seems to point to God. So that's at least, like, my aesthetic impulse when looking at this kind of thing. So I just thought that was really interesting. But let's get into some of the other stuff. So Steve's presenting an argument from divine hiddenness. I think it's ironic how he shows the beautiful cosmos in the video because it seems like, to me, this is something that cries out for an explanation of why do we have all these planets and stars? Like, are you just going to say it's all necessary? Like, it seems like positing God as a necessary being would be a lot simpler view than positing, like, all of space-time. Um, I'm not saying Steve does this. It's just, like, that's one of the things that I might be suggesting. So, it, I don't think this is – I wasn't exactly sure what Steve is doing here. I don't think this shows that the arguments for God are bad. I don't know if that was Steve's intention or not. It just shows that divine hiddenness is a problem. Um, so, like, Steve talks about his favorite argument in the last section – and then why he thinks it fails. And then he gets into this divine hiddenness stuff, which may be like maybe Steve's like kind of like decisive reason to not believe in God or the most powerful in his mind. So I don't know. Um, so let's talk about the Shelley quote, because I think this is super interesting because I think Shelley is right in a sense. Like we don't serve a God that just wants us to like bow down and kiss his feet. Um, yeah, we just don't want, that's not the nature of God, the character of God. And like, you can see that even in like the scriptures, but God wants a being who wants us to want him. He wants us to pursue him, wants us to have a relationship with him. Um, and God's hiddenness allows for these things. So we aren't just stuck, um, forced to believe in God, but we can just kind of like explore and do things and figure it out. And yeah. So yeah, I think God's hiddenness is allow for good, such as God allowing us to participate in his work. So think about like the project of like science or philosophy, like people are doing and studying a lot of serious questions right now. Imagine if, we had these serious questions and then we just, God was just always there in terms of like, you just like press a button and there's the answer to your question. Well, then like, what's the point of doing science or doing philosophy? If you can just press the button and just get your answers and you're like, Oh shoot. Like, it seems like if like God wasn't at least to some degree hidden, like there'd be no point in making like scientific or moral progress or working together to do these things because we could just get it like an easy fix out of it. So there's that. Um, I also think that like, if we have a God who gave us literally anything we needed, we're not going to need each other. So like humans depend on each other for cooperation, for survival, um, we're social species. We need to work with each other to have food or water or comfort. Um, 
And if God just literally like was like, oh, his food tank is running low. Let me just drop some bread out of the sky every single time. Like then what's the point of humans even working together? Um, and it seems like human cooperation is a very great good. So God's hiddenness allows for goods like that. And I'm not saying again here that God doesn't like ever do these things. Cause I mean, like I'm a Christian, I believe like the Israelites wandering the desert and getting manna, but it's like, God doesn't always have to do that. And I think there's a lot of reasons why God, a lot of the times has us do things ourselves. Um, yeah. And then there's a the final thing that I'll say here. And it's like, would you rather be dropped on the top of the mountain or make the climb yourself? So sure. Like you could take Steve's view here and maybe be like, okay, well, why wouldn't God show himself? Like, why wouldn't you just like put me in heaven and like, you know, I can just be good and we can just go and have fun the rest of all eternity. And I'm kind of like, well, I think it's better to make the climb up to the mountain to know God more fully than just be dropped on top of it. And I talked about this a little bit with my dialogue with Randall Rouser on biblical ambiguities. You can check that out. That was a few weeks ago. So yeah, I think that's the end of this video today. It's been a lot of fun. And yeah, I wish you guys the best. Um, Oscar says, there's a question here from Oscar. Which says, my, my botherings with the God hypothesis is compatible with seemingly everything we see. Evolution works. No evolution also works. It's like making, like, make a prediction already. Well, I think that, like, everything, like, literally any view is compatible with anything. So I don't really think this is a strike against theism. Because I think, like, this is why you have, like, like, talking with Emerson last night, this is why you have, like, materialists that like, will deny the existence of consciousness because it's just incompatible with their views. Like, any view can account for all the data. It's just about what is the simplest and explains the most. Um, so I don't really see this as a problem necessarily for just theism, like atheism, um, any of you can suffer with these things, um, different views like evolutionary theory and whatnot. Um, Jono says, oh, what's up, Jono? Um, do you think that tele 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 teleology and biology, Steve is talking about, relates to ethics, um, the Catholic natural law tradition? Mm, I don't think so, because you're just talking about the watchmaker analogy and like this having like this super complex system. And it's like, well, what best explains this? Well, a, a god. Um, then we have evolutionary theory, which kind of gets that out of the way. So I don't think it's really doing with natural law. But I mean, I could be wrong. I'm definitely not perfect. But yeah, thank you guys so much for joining me today. It's been so much fun. Very short stream. I need to go to school and do that stuff. So yeah, so much fun. Um, no, I actually love school. So it's fun. Um, but yeah, I wish you guys the best. Thank you so much for joining to Jonah, Jonah and Oscar and Wesley and everyone else, um, wish you the best. And if you always have questions, feel free to reach out to me through like email or private message or something. Always love to talk with you. Um, may not be probably gonna be a little bit to get back to you because I'm ridiculously busy right now, but I'd love to talk. And Steve, if you ever listen to this, you're amazing. Love your stuff. And I hope you found this edifying and kind of like building bridges and kind of like exploring ideas and yeah, just hope it helps you in seeking truth. So wish you guys the best and God bless. We'll see you next time.